Go ahead and have a seat. Today our parable comes from Matthew chapter 24, and it starts at the very beginning. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Today we are invited to imagine the unimaginable kingdom of God to come as Jesus tells this story as it unfolds the great banquet. Jesus is sharing this story with the religious leaders of the time, and it's right in the middle of Holy Week. So this is after Jesus has cleared the temple. The Pharisees realize that Jesus is speaking right to them. And they are hot. And Jesus does nothing but just turn up the heat a little bit more. The Pharisees want to arrest him. But because they fear that the people believe Jesus to be a prophet, they, they're reserved at this point. Now this parable has an unusually large number of characters. And it has a lot of strange responses and behaviors. So today I want to dig into the cast of characters, the head scratchers, and the party crashers. So let's start with a cast of characters. Number one, we've got the king. He's the, he's the father. He's the father of the groom. Obviously, he stands for the heavenly father. And then we have the son, who is the groom, who is obviously Jesus himself. And the bride is not mentioned, but we know throughout scripture that, that we, the church, are considered the bride of Christ. Then we have the servants. The servants are the ones who go out into the town to let them know that the people who were invited already to the party, who had RSVP'd, committed to being there, they're the ones carrying the message that now is the time. The feast is ready. This uh, is connecting to the Old Testament prophets who continually went to Israel and corrected them from their wayward ways. We can even lead that all the way into John the Baptist. Now, nobody loved the prophets. Because the prophets were only sent to Israel when Israel had gone askew, when they were departing from the ways that they should be going. And so oftentimes the, the, the prophets were mistreated and even killed. Then we've got the invited guests. This was Israel, right? The, the generations and descendants from Abraham with whom God had made this incredible covenant to bless the world. That all the people would be blessed because of their family. 
Now this currently where the, the, the religious leaders as they're hearing this, they're understanding that they are intended to be in this story as the invited guests. The original hearers of the parable were the ones who were first invited who had RSVP'd to this incredible banquet. Now in the Middle East, if somebody is a, is a noble person and they invite you to their wedding, it's not only assumed that you would be there, it's expected that you would be there. And to, to not go without some kind of incredibly important excuse was a huge public disgrace. Now, amplify that even more when it's the king. right? This is, this is the wedding of a lifetime. And people are snubbing the invitation. Now, if only one guest backs out, it's not a bad thing. But if, if multiple guests back out, then it's, it's an obvious slap in the face. But if everybody declines the invitation, not one person goes, it's a deliberate attempt to stop the banquet. Now we have another list of characters. We have the good and the bad people. The, the second list of invites, the, the plan B, if you will. That's the Gentiles. The people like, like you and me, the people not associated with Abraham's bloodline, but by faith have been grafted in. But here's the catch, because it's, it's really easy for us over time, given enough time, for us to slowly kind of start to feel like maybe we don't have to go to the wedding feast. Maybe we've got other excuses, just like the original invitees, to avoid the party. Now, sure, maybe not everybody just willfully, intentionally, actively rejects the invitation. Maybe some of us are more passive with that, that we just have lots of stuff to do. Or maybe, maybe life is just so fulfilling for you right now that it's good enough. And you don't long for the kingdom of God to come. Or maybe you're just surrounded by so many struggles and difficulties that you, you focus on the here and now and, and the struggles and the trials and, the, and you lose sight of the good that's to come. That we don't focus on the promise that God makes to make all things whole again. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of believing one of two lies that the enemy loves for us to get caught up in. One is that thought that if we are good enough, if we really buff out all the rough edges and really hone our discipleship and really practice great spirituality, then we can, we can finally earn or deserve our seat at God's table. Or, on the flip side, maybe we just take it easy and know that God is so forgiving, God is so loving that, you know what, if we, if we don't go, he'll forgive you. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And Jesus in this parable puts, puts both of those and reveals both of those ideas as lies, as simply untrue. Because salvation is not by works, it is by grace through faith alone. And that banquet, that last day, is not optional. Since Jesus points out that only grace and only faith matter, then nothing else does. And then, at the very end, we have this party crasher. A guy who shows up without wedding clothes, right? When the master finds him, when the king sees him, and his, his state of 
just not wearing the right stuff. He binds his hands, binds his feet, and tosses him into the darkness, into a place that's called the weeping and gnashing of teeth, which we understand to be hell. But more on him later. Let's move from the cast of characters now into what I call the head scratchers. The things that, that maybe as you read it, as you heard it this morning, you just thought, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Well, let's dig into those. Number one, why would the original invitees, the person who were the who's who invited to the, the what's what party of the lifetime, why in the world would they simply not go? Right? Maybe some are so indifferent, they're wrapped up in the business of this world that they don't even notice what's happening. Or this is intentional ignoring and rejecting. Or what they've found in the here and now is more satisfying and important to them than what's being offered in the kingdom. There's a major problem in our society today. Is people are just simply too busy for Jesus or the church. Or maybe there's this feeling that Jesus is coming back, but it is so far from now. It's been 2,000 years. It could be another 2,000 years. Why in the world should we wait and focus on that today? It can lead us to focus more on what's around us right now than wait actively for Jesus to return for the party to begin. Then why in the world is this parable so ridiculously violent there is a lot of death involved with this parable so the the original guests they finally mistreat and then kill the servants when the king finds out about this in his rage he gathers together his entire army and he destroys the town he kills everyone in this festival of death destroys everybody and burns the city to the ground seems like maybe a little overreaction and then at the end, the guy, just because he's wearing the wrong clothes, gets tossed outside and condemned. Now thinking back to my own wedding, if none of my friends, none of my family had showed up, I would have been pretty hurt. Not sure I would have gone on a killing spree, but I would have been pretty hurt. I and mean, just think about that for yourself. Like, what would that feel like, that total rejection feel like? But in reality, that's exactly what has happened in the church historically, right? The religious leaders throughout the ages were the ones who persecuted and killed the prophets. Jesus himself would be seized, treated shamefully, and killed. Our church currently today is still under persecution, maybe not as intense here in the United States, but across the world. In Haiti, just last week, we prayed for people, for Christians who were taken. Those who persecute and kill followers of Jesus in this time will ultimately answer to God. They will not escape God's wrath and judgment. But in this parable, not all is about anger and wrath. There's a ton of grace, too. Notice how the original invitees were given multiple opportunities by the Father to come to the party. And it shows our Heavenly Father's slowness to anger. His incredible patience with our sin, offering time and time again another opportunity to come to him in repentance and receive forgiveness and life. We also see that his grace intensifies even more and then turns extreme when he sends us invitation to anyone and everyone 
the good and the bad and the ugly. I just want to fill this room and have this party. He brings in the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. Everyone. And then what does it mean when Jesus says that many are called but few are chosen? Let's dig into that a little bit because it all has to do with who is worthy to be at the party. The king, reflecting on why the original group of invitees didn't come to the party, he announces to his servants that they were not worthy to come. What made them not worthy was their rejection of the invitation. And then both bad and good are invited after. They are worthy of the banquet. But because we know they were both bad and good, they were not worthy of the banquet because of their behavior. It's like you today are worthy of the banquet, but not because you're good or bad. What makes you worthy is that you were invited, and out of faith, the Holy Spirit prompted you to respond and come. That's what makes you worthy. Right? The king doesn't make any stipulations on his guests at all. He doesn't say that, that man, the good ones, you can obviously have great seats, but the bad, the bad of you, man, can you just pretend you're okay? Can you, like, just stop doing bad things and then come into the, be- the wedding? Just like the prodigal son, when he returns to the father, right? the father doesn't say, man, you were horrible. I want to love you. We've got a party ready. But can you promise me never to run off again? He doesn't do that. Father welcomes him in. Throws the party. No stipulations. That's how God responds to you. This morning as we came to him in confession, he didn't say, man, you know, I've, I've heard this before. And, I, and then I know what happens after. And I know you continually fall and you continually sin. And he says... I forgive you. Welcome to the party. Jesus doesn't just look for nice people. Remember, he, he's the guy who dines with, with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. He redeems us all. When Jesus says that many are chosen but few are called, it does not mean that God doesn't want to save everyone. God desperately wants to save everyone. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God desires us all to be saved, but the only reason, the only reason why some are condemned, why some are not chosen, is because they reject. They reject that amazing gift from God. They refuse to hear God's word. They stop up their ears. They, they close off their hearts so the Holy Spirit can't do what he promises to do to work through the word of God. To, provoke, to build and, and encourage faith in our lives. We reject it. And the difference between those who are called and those who are chosen is that those who have chosen out of the gift of the Holy Spirit have responded in faith. We haven't done anything to show up to the feast in the right way. We have been chosen. Right, that means, this is the good news, that means that we can't do anything to mess it up. It is purely all in God's hands. Now, at the same time, this expression of divinely extravagant, prodigal kinds of grace must not be misinterpreted, right? It proclaims that this message of God's love and grace, this feast, this invitation has been given to all people, but it also contains a warning for those who choose to reject it. 
The warning is this, that the participation in the banquet is not just automatic. Your seat at God's table is not just automatic because the Jews messed it up. And you're the only ones left. So you'll do. Because we can so easily slide into rejecting that message just like them. In Matthew's account, to be worthy is to be wrapped up in the righteous robes of Christ. And I think the last question that, that I really have in this text is, is why in the world was it such a big deal that one man showed up without the right kind of clothes on and gets tossed out and condemned? So let's dig into that more in the section, Party Crashers. Why did this man not have wedding clothes? Now there's this old theological urban legend that stated that when uh, in, in, in this, this Hebrew society, if you threw a great big party and, and your wedding guests came, but they didn't have the right kind of clothes, then the king would just simply supply his guests with the right wedding garments, right? So you show up, I just, I, I'm not worthy. I don't have the right stuff at home. Uh, God says, okay, come on into the closet. The king says, come into my closet, pick out a really cool robe and, and you get to wear my clothes for the wedding. Now there's absolutely this much proof that that was actually a part of the culture. But a lot of commentators have said that's the way that it is. So I'm not gonna say that's the way that it is, but this is what we do know theologically from this. For whatever reason, this man intentionally walked into the room not prepared to give respect and honor to the king, to the king's son, and to the banquet they were about to receive. Right? He, he was defiantly there and, and here's where here's where we we, we know that when when the king asks him friend and 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 don't take this again this is where english is kind of eh, as a language the greek here is more like buddy dude where's your clothes right he's not saying oh my friend i love you i'm glad you're here but can i make you look nicer he's like buster what gives and notice the response of the guest without the right clothes on. He says nothing. He says nothing because he has no good excuse. Because you have to believe that if he would have said, I, I, this, is the, this is the best I have. This is, this is all I have. I'm so sorry. That, that I don't mean this to be a disgrace to you, but this is, this is my best. You have to believe that this incredibly gracious king would have said, I forgive you, let's, let's do that urban legend thing and I'll put on my best robe on you and you'll be worthy. But because he's speechless, because he has no good answer, because his answer is just the same as the original people who were invited to this party is you are not important enough for me to put on my best. I'm just here in defiance of you. And as a result, the king takes his anger from the original group of people who denied him, who rejected him, who, who ignored his invitation to this party of the century. And he brings it into this man who's just standing defiantly in front of him and he binds his hands and tosses him out. I think that's such a great vivid picture of, of his hands being bound, his feet being bound, which means he is incapable of coming back to the party. He is totally helpless. This man was present but he was not covered by the wedding garment. 
I think that it's very possible that there's some in this room today who are present but are without your wedding clothes. And, and please don't misunderstand me. I don't mean you fancied all up for today or you're coming in completely not fancy. That's not what I'm talking about. Because the robes that we are all invited to wear are those righteous robes of Christ that he first gave to us when he wrapped us up in the waters of baptism that we receive every other week when we come to the, the supper, the banquet, and we receive the very feast of God. Made worthy not because of how we've lived our life, but because of how Jesus lived and died and lives again and gives us that wedding garment to wrap around us. We receive it every time we receive the, the confession and absolution, that we are made clean, we are made worthy for the feast. Jesus himself, he understands what it's like to be tossed out and abused. On the cross, Jesus wept and gnashed his teeth. As he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off from God. His body was cut to pieces, nailed and speared. Also that he could give us his righteousness, so he could invite us to the banquet. I, I want to talk about that banquet just a little bit as we wrap up today. To remember all the great and historic meals in scripture. All the time that food was involved with fellowship. We start with the marriage feast at the, at, at the wedding in Cana in Galilee. The last supper when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room. The evening meal at Emmaus on the night of Easter day. The breakfast of broiled fish on the lakeside. Go back to the Old Testament. You have the Passover meal in Exodus chapter 12. Every Sabbath meal everywhere, the feast for the prodigal son, the fellowship of the Lord's table that we celebrate. It's to be read in this context of, of all of the incredible meals where we had fellowship with the very real presence of God. It's the real presence that our human heart longs for that's represented in this feast in the parable today. My favorite wedding of all time, aside from my own, was my brother. My brother, Taryn, and his, his wife, Melissa, um, they got married in Colorado Springs at the Garden of the Gods, which is just one of the most breathtaking places that God has created. And it was just one of those days where, where the, the wedding was just so incredibly special because I love those two people so very much. But everybody's dressed in their fanciest clothes. And, and the food was absolutely delicious. And the liquid refreshment was pouring in. And people were dancing and laughing and connecting with family. And that whole week leading up to the wedding was so special. Because we had family from all over the United States, all over Canada, that had come and gathered for a week before. And every single night we would spend eating together and, and, and drinking and, and having fun and laughing and remembering great stories from our past and the whole week was this huge celebration that culminated with this tremendous party in a beautiful atmosphere and that's just a little tiny taste of the beautiful incredible spectacular banquet that awaits us in eternity that 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 the feast of God will be just like that wedding, only so much more so, infinitively better, and lasting for eternity. That's what I long for. 
in the midst of all our trials and temptations and failings and falterings, that's what I keep my eye on. That's what gives me hope. That's what gives me joy. That's what gives me fire to live my life for him in this Jesus adventure. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for this parable that reminds us that your kingdom is coming, that you will spare no expense, even the life and death of your son, to pay for this banquet, that you call us all good and bad, and you make, you make us worthy not by our behaviors, but by your grace. You declare us worthy. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, we live and pray. Amen.